This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Good morning. I think I can uh, trust that uh, all all six of you <laughs> have a um, a uh, spirit model. Are you familiar with that term? Um, my understanding is that basically that means something like a a model for the human spirit. And the uh, the presupposition is that there is such a thing. Uh, that there is a dimension of human life and experience that is uh, not quantifiable. We talked about this before, but I, I have many opportunities to give talks, and when I uh, reach into the uh, collection, as it were, the uh, the bag, uh, often similar things come up. They're things that I have found to be important and return to over and over again. Uh, in our Western world, there are a lot of people who would scoff at the need for a spirit model. And then there's some who maybe maybe they wouldn't scoff, but uh, it would be reduced to some purely psychological dimension. And you see this most readily, of course, in uh, the uh, many uh, scientific endeavors that we have in the West. And most of them are, are based on the assumption that what I'm referring to as spirit is simply another collection of electrochemical processes, the, the key to which will be discovered very soon.
there will continue to be discoveries. And um, most of the scientific endeavors that are engaged have a profit motive in there somewhere. Not all. There's still such a thing as pure research, just for the love of it. But the hope is that a market can be discovered. So nowadays we are approaching, or maybe we're in a frontier that um, when I was a teenager, I and others were eagerly anticipating. The, the, the frontier where uh, entheogens, have you heard that term? Entheogens are not uh, prescribed, but are in fact uh, encouraged. That is, legitimate research is supported into the uh, functioning of these entheogens. You know that term? No. Uh, it's uh, Greek. N for in, Theo being Theos being God and Gen. Hmm? No, no uh, I think the sense would be uh, generating, causing, bringing about. So these entheogens are um, materials that are typically ingested and that uh, tend to oblige the recipient to acknowledge the need for a spirit model if that acknowledgement wasn't already there. So there has been I think, significant progress made with various uh, mental health issues uh, to, to prominent areas, depression is one, and also persons facing the end of life who are extremely anxious. And so I uh, am not particularly championing entheogens, although I, I think it's fine if, if uh, people find that useful. But it does seem to open a window. And... This is something I've been hearing about since I was a kid. So it's kind of funny that it's taken so long, you know. And one of the uh, effects of opening this window is to allow a new kind of light upon the self, so-called. Or as the Diamond Sutra says over and over again, a self, a being, a soul, a person. And of course, Shakyamuni Buddha 
did not say there was no such thing. I guess we're probably pretty clear on that by now. He just said, there's no such thing as a permanent and isolated one of those. And therefore, uh, we, we are encouraged by, among others, our great ancestor, Dogen, to study the self, which is basically what Shakyamuni did. And over time, Shakyamuni's insight was kind of, uh, uh, the, the expression was uh, somewhat, was refined uh, to the point where there are sort of two levels of insight. You probably know all this too. There is the insight into the person and the insight into all phenomena. And Shakyamuni's teaching is about that insight. So again, just, just so we're clear, either the insight into the nature of the um, being, soul, or person is universal, or it's useless, it is not valid. In other words, it's not that some people are lucky enough uh, to um, have a self that is not permanent and not isolated, and other people are in fact stuck with one that is permanent and isolated. That would make no sense at all. Therefore, Shakyamuni Buddha's insight is for all beings and all times. And surely that is one reason his uh, teaching has endured for so long. So lately I've been reflecting that um, Reflecting on the notion that um, the self is the product of countless eons of uh, establishing the wrong view that there is such a permanent entity. This is something we we hear over and over. <clears throat> 
And uh, the other day I was just reflecting of what if that's not quite right? What if it's not really the case that someone or us or I, uh, uh, countless, uh, countless galactic eras ago, got the caught the bug, as it were, were of, of Satkaya Dursti. We've used that expression before. The view of a literal Kaya is actually body, but person. And then it was all just downhill from there. So what if I have been, I've been thinking, what if that's actually not how it works? And what if the Satkaya Dursti, the habitual self is reconstructed over and over again, moment after moment. Another way of saying it, maybe uh, the, um, the presence, the posture of this kind of self uh, is not an inevitable default. The inevitable default position uh, to which the the psyche is you know, condemned. Uh, what if what is so uh, tiring <laughs> about our lives sometimes is the fact that we are constantly doing this work of establishing the self over and over again, using every bit of proprioception, every bit of experience, every memory, every feeling, every thought goes into establishing, reestablishing the satkaya, the, this person, this thing. And what if it's possible actually to uh, leave off from that activity? And what if the mysterious attraction of Zazen is that is when we leave off constructing the self It is, uh, it is possible that um, when we uh, 
take our, our seat to practice Zazen. Maybe we do just continue with the uh, familiar activity of establishing the self. Maybe that goes on for a while. But eventually, the uh, alchemy of practice and verification begins to change that process. And people discover somewhere in themselves the trust. The trust in the Buddhas and ancestors, Shakyamuni's teaching, that actually it's okay to leave off that uh, frantic building. So maybe uh, some of you are thinking, well, great, how do we do that? Will anybody admit to thinking that? No, good, nobody, okay. That's good. Uh, there is no secret to that. And the instruction is no different from the instructions you have already received many times. So uh, I have to be careful here. If, if you don't already trust that what is happening there is suspension of the habitual activity of construction. If you don't already trust that, I am inviting you to do so and to trust it completely. And to trust that there, there's no problem with the phenomena that arise. So don't make them a problem. Every time you're handed a, uh, some boards and some nails and a hammer, Just allow that to pass you by. One, just, just uh, 
a cautionary note. What I'm talking about would come under the heading of what's called in, in Chan, Wu Wei, or non-striving. So this is not some new kind of activity I'm telling you about. And because this is the uh, Zen family, notice I'm not saying the Zen school. I almost did, but I caught myself. Um, we don't. We don't have. We don't offer a lot of like equipment. So it's not the case that uh, uh, instead of a hammer and nails, you need someone to give you a crowbar. I'm pretty sure nobody here is confused to the point of thinking that the self has to be gotten rid of. Nobody thinks that, right? Good. That's Shuji-san just shook his head, so I will take that as proxy for everybody. <laughs> and this, uh, this teaching, you know, goes pretty far back. I would say all the way back to our great founder, Shakyamuni Buddha, who after spending six years wrestling with various kinds of equipment, finally gave up on that and said, okay, you know what? No more equipment. Don't give me anything else. Just give me some food because I've been starving myself to death and that has not been helpful. So the self requires constant maintenance and attention. Otherwise, it's uh, boundaries and functioning and mechanisms can't continue. Uh, so to be still and observe 
reveals what's actually going on. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't give the talk last time. But a very, very good talk by Kimberly. Press. Hmm? Press. Press. Uh, is she ordained? Actually, forgot to ask. Uh, she's about to be after pandemic. Oh, she's about to be. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a very good talk. Um, and. Uh, there were like 25 people there. So I, <laughs> she must be doing something right. I don't know what I'm doing, but anyway, it's lovely to see you all. Um, anyhow, Uh, maybe it was the time before, I think I mentioned the uh, story of uh, the sixth ancestor and one of his two great disciples, Nanyue Huayarang. There's an extremely important point in there, more than one probably, but So I don't know if you remember that story, but um, Nanyue goes to visit Ajahn Weinung at his, his uh, community at Saoxi. I'm kind of froggy this morning. I was uh, ill during the night and uh, Without going into too much detail, there was some return of the digested. So I'm a little bit weary this morning, and my voice is perhaps a bit more masculine than usual. <laughs> My mother taught me how to do that. She feared for me at large in a cruel world. If I was talking like this all the time, <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but anyway. Um, so Nanyue goes to see Wainong and uh, and Wainong says, uh, where, where are you from? Nanyue says, uh, I've, I've just come from down south. Do you remember what Wainung says? What he asks him? Oh, come on now. This is such a great story. No? what they teach down south? That's another one. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, uh, Wei Nung says, what is it that thus comes? A, uh, a play, of course, on the term Tathagata. And, uh, 
Nanyue was already pretty on the ball, and, and he says, uh, well, if I say it's this or it's that, it misses the point. And uh, Wenung says, oh, so um, practice and verification have nothing to do with it? And Nanya says, well, I don't say there's no uh, practice and verification. And just that it can't be defiled. And the uh, point I'd like to emphasize is that um, Wenung says, good. I am thus. You are thus too. That is perhaps the pivot, or maybe one of several, of the story. Today, anyway, I would say that's actually the main point. That uh, if we aren't all thus, then the whole thing is irrelevant. But we are. Those guys are thus, and we are thus too. And therefore, it's not just okay, but great to study the self by sitting in stillness and letting the self go by. Now, I don't think anybody says that alchemy is a rapid process. The, uh, the uh, ancients in, in Europe, some of whom I've been studying, the great alchemists and occultists and others, they knew that it was not a rapid process. But they knew that the actual nature of the materials they were working with made inevitable certain outcomes. So if we trust and 
continue our alchemy, the outcome is certain. Namely, how you see the world will change. It has already, but maybe don't yet appreciate how much. So the study of the self, as I'm talking about it, that's not the great activity. All the activity is on the self-establishment side. So let it rest. And you don't have to be sitting cross-legged to let it rest. Also, let it rest and the world rests with you. But maybe that's another talk. You have any questions this morning? Yes. For the multi-part, I'm going to go quickly. When you said um, all things on the inside, is that equal to reality? On both insides, is it into the nature of reality and nature of self? Yeah. And is the nature the mechanics? So the question is, uh, I spoke of what eventually was kind of uh, codified as two aspects of Shakyamuni's great insight into the person and into all phenomena. And Cato was asking, is that, you know, basically amount to reality. And then what was the other part about mechanics? Oh, and if, uh, if, if we were, the insight was insight into the nature of, yes. and if it is in the nature of, is it the nature of the mechanics? Yeah, or, you know, what's going on? Sorry, just one last part. Mm -hmm. So I do think that, I mean, I think a lot of things in the universe work the same way. We, you know, we rotate around the sun, our, all our cells and things are rotating little pieces. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's always changing. So if you have an insight into the mechanics, wouldn't the mechanics also be constantly changing? Just as your body and your cell growth is constantly changing. So the insight you have today isn't worth anything tomorrow necessarily. Well, uh, I guess I don't know about that, but I would say it appears that there are certain laws. There are the laws of physics, which appear to be universal in, in this universe anyway. So unless those laws change, I, I kind of feel like 
the insight is into what's actually happening. And I, at the moment, see no evidence that tomorrow is going to be like totally different. I'm like, oh no, I have to start again. It doesn't look that way to me. That's maybe not a complete answer, but. Yeah, I was just trying to think it might be hard to put a pen in it or get your, your insight that you can bank on it, but your entire body is reproducing itself, even. And yeah. everything around you is reproducing or, you know, dying and being born. And, um, but I, yeah, I think things tend to work a certain way. And yes. there are law, laws of things, and then, of course, there are habits and patterns. Yes. And all of that is subject to insight, as far as I can tell. And the insight has an impact, let's put it that way. David. Uh, in my first few days of practice, I had the, uh, this uh, experience of which was very unusual for me then and mysterious. And it was the feeling of this so-called self being built up and torn down simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I still feel if I reflect upon that, that that's actually still going on. Mm -hmm. And in my case, the building up is sometimes using old materials go back who knows how far, right? I mean, I could say, oh yeah, my childhood, my parents, my upbringing, where I lived and all mm -hmm. those sorts of things. That's mm -hmm. still there and that still operates to some degree in this, in this sort of ongoing creation of me. Mm -hmm. But I'm also finding that there's new materials that are coming from what's going on right now and how I'm relating and how I'm thinking. And yes. the, so the, the, the approach is shifting a little bit. It's probably always shifting, actually, if I would care to spend enough time and energy examining that. Uh -huh. um, and so one of my question is, do you think it's possible or is this a, a delusional thought? that there can be a building up of a personality that is, let's say, transparent. Well, the, um, that you see through the thing that you're building up so that you actually, you're not bound to yeah. that. You, yes. you, there's a certain amount of freedom. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that was Shakyamuni's insight, was that the the person is transparent in that sense, and so are all phenomena. So that's exactly Buddha's insight. So it's definitely possible. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, well, I wanted to offer, I, I, I have a, one of my favorite talks by Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and he has a, a speculative moment in it where he talks about, you know, his coined term of interbeing um, and then um, linking it to something like pacemaker cells in the body uh, that are beginning to wave in a, in a Bose-Einstein condensate level. And so I don't know why 
a body would be that cold. I mean, that's like basically absolute zero, I think, uh, when things are, are at that level of condensation, when gas is at that level of condensation. But it, it just seemed like it was, he was just kind of going in speculation, but he was, that was where he was saying, okay, all of your cells are energizing simultaneously, but you also have some cells that are like creating the pace of the pulsation or something like that. And that that becomes evident at a meta level through the Bose-Einstein condensate, like the kind of things, uh, gases functioning like liquids or something like that. So I don't know, but I thought, I thought that was, I just went out for a cup of coffee after I heard him say it. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know I mean? Like how, I don't know how one could, could have awareness and be that cold. I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, um, I, I guess if, uh, you know, we would, we could ask Ty, it would be best, but I, I, um, I guess all I would say would be uh, just as uh, with a wristwatch or other timekeeper, there is a time base of some kind, a ticking. Same is probably true of, of beings and objects. There is a time base of some sort. And I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about, but that's what comes to my mind. That for us and for objects, there is a, a ticking, a time base. And for living beings, it appears to be much faster than for uh, solid objects, so-called. And that would be where I would connect with what ties in. Nothing to do with temperature, I guess, but oh well. So we sit and listen to the ticking. Yes, one sorry. Um, I'm curious about your readings into alchemy, and I think there are two ways of thinking about uh, chemical teachings, one being that it's literal and the other that it's purely metaphor. Mm -hmm. Is this insight of Sakyamuni, is it metaphor for that insight? Well, uh, Shakyamuni did utilize metaphor in his teaching, but essentially his teaching is not metaphorical, but literal. And as for the alchemists? I'm speaking of the Philosopher's Stone. Yes, yes. Right, yeah, right, right. You know, there seems to have been quite a, um, a range of thinking on that topic, and some really, really all they wanted was to turn lead into gold. It's really, that's all they wanted. And others saw that as connected to the, the nature of the universe. And so their experiments had a, a spirit model, if you like, not just, oh, I could really break in some dough here. And there was everything in between. And of course, uh, Carl Jung, looked at alchemy from the side of spiritual transformation, not getting rich. So he was on that end of things. 
And I must say, that is what interests me. The, although that's the beginning of what we call chemistry nowadays, uh, that, uh, that's fine, but I'm not so concerned with what actually happens when you mix sulfur with you know, something else and heat it up. It's like, okay, that's, that's cool, but how is that useful in our lives, actually? Something more like that. Okay. Yes, I could go on, but... Yes, we could. But, but there's a limited amount of time. Thank you. <laughs> well, maybe that's enough for now. Thank you all for coming together for Dharma study and Dharma practice. And uh, uh, maybe uh, it would be good to meditate on, the six ancestors' great words, I am thus, you are thus too. Thank you very much. <laughs>